Well, we welcome everybody to this week's edition of View from the Press Box. I'm Scott Hogan. Joining me is Brad Hallier. Brad, we've got a lot to get into. Of course, it's uh, we're nearing postseason baseball time, all the fall sports rolling on, and we got football, football, football. So let's jump right into some of the action from last weekend. Let's let's start with, uh, before we get into high school, let's start with the uh, what happened on the weekend with KU and K-State, two uh, very interesting games. Let's start with the Jayhawks, who 28-point favorites uh, went into Nevada, and I think admittingly for themselves, they admitted this looking a little bit past Nevada last weekend to BYU, got themselves in a dogfight, ended up winning – 31-24 over Nevada, that late finish. I actually had to watch the tape of it. I went to bed before it was going to be really late. So what did you make of that game? I know a lot of people different differing opinions. What did you make of the Jayhawks win at Nevada? Well, you know, I listened to a lot of it. I was up in Leavenworth watching my daughter play soccer, and I was able to get home and watch the last part of the fourth quarter. And so I was you know, listening to Brian Haney and David Lawrence, it, it just sounded like that, you know, Kansas was just off last weekend. A uh, lot, lot of penalties. I think they put the – but it wasn't just that. I mean, I, I think Nevada may have set an NCAA record for most fumbles without a turnover. They had six fumbles, Scott, and they got them all back. I know. I mean, how, how does that happen? I mean, that's just – that's just, but you know, just pure luck, I guess. But, um, you know, o- overall, I think the offense played – okay i thought the defense probably didn't play for that they played well in the first half i guess uh but not in the second half and you know what what they said like the wounded animal is always a dangerous opponent uh nevada is not a wounded animal but uh you know they had a lot of uh fbs transfers uh i think that they're probably a little bit better this year than they were last year but they bottom line is they ended that game having lost 12 in a row uh but but scott here's how far kansas football is coming in such a short time the guys on TV said if Nevada had won that game, it may have been the upset of the year in college football. Yeah, the one thing I, I really noticed from the announcers, and they said this m- multiple times during the game, and especially at halftime, this is not the Nevada team we've seen the first two weeks of the season. I, I think they really emphasized that they were playing light years better. And they'd lost to Idaho. Um, bad bad the week before so I, I think they were inspired I think they were tired of hearing a nation's longest losing streak uh, you know KU I think maybe that first drive came a little too easy up seven nothing they thought well here you know here we go um, and when you inspire an underdog like that, that that's what you get it, it is a great effort which give Nevada credit they, they get they left it all out there in a way I think this was a good thing for KU to realize, you know, and I think Lance Leipold said this, realize it's still been 15 years since his programs had a winning season. You know, they ended up six and seven last year with the bowl loss. Um, I think maybe that got hammered home a little bit that, you know, far be it, you know, KU shouldn't be overlooking anybody yet. Um, They haven't arrived. You know, they haven't, you know, challenged for a big 12 title. They haven't finished above 500. But to see them respond to adversity when they had to in the second half to match that score with score, um, I, I think was a good thing for this team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they still had some pretty impressive. I mean, Jalen Daniels didn't throw a touchdown, but he was 21 of 27 for 298 yards. 
unfortunately, he didn't get a chance to get his legs going. He uh, had negative four yards rushing. He got sacked a few times. Uh, but, you know, overall, I really thought that, you know, once again, I, you know, Daniels played very well. The running game was pretty solid. Devin Neal had 89 yards. And, frankly, you know, Nevada really didn't do a ton offensively, Scott. They only had, like, a, let's see if my math is correct here, about 263 yards. I mean, if you give up 263 yards, you know, in a game like that, I mean, you assume that Kansas wins that game going away. But uh, but they didn't. And, you know, they had 24 first downs and Nevada's 14. And, you know, statistically, they pretty much dominated the game, but they just couldn't shake them. Yeah, they couldn't. And and again, I think I think in the long run, that's a good thing to, to you know, to learn from this. You got to take every, everybody one week at a time. But to respond, I, I like the way they did respond. They got punched in the mouth and they, they came back, won the game. And I. Boy, I'm really liking this three-headed monster they've got in McDuffie, um, Highshaw, and Neal. I mean, it doesn't seem like they lose much at all. It doesn't seem to matter which back is in there. They, they can be very productive, and that, that's absolutely huge when you can keep a, a fresh guy in there and you don't drop off. Well, Highshaw had the, the highest yards per average. Uh, Saturday and Neil, I think, was fourth in the country before the game. He was averaging almost nine yards a carry, still at five point two yards per carry in the the passing game. I mean, uh, same thing. You know, who who do you defend? Mason Fairchild, six catches, seventy four yards. Luke Grimm, six catches, fifty five yards. So I don't. Uh, Lawrence Arnold, five catches, forty six yards. Devin Neal, two catches, fifty nine yards. I, I I just don't know who you really focus on with this Kansas offense. Yeah, what was that? This was it Skinner that had a couple of those amazing catches in that game. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but, uh, yeah, there was one who had a couple of nice diving catches. He finished with uh, four for 50. Yeah, I think it was him. He had a couple of uh, leaping catches that were just amazing. So, I mean, they're, they're really talented. Um, they've started 3-0 and for the second straight year. BYU comes in also 3-0 and uh, in the Lawrence prime t- or, uh, 2.30 national TV game on Saturday afternoon. I think, Brad, this has got potential to be – a whale of a college football game. Well, I was a little surprised that Kansas, uh, I'm not sure what it is now, but, but they're at one point like a nine and a half point favorite. So really, obviously the, the odds makers like not just Kansas, but they like Kansas pretty comfortably at homes. It's already sold out. And, you know, I think you got two kind of trains of thought here. Uh, BYU is undefeated. They, the, they've received votes just like Kansas. Um, so, I was, again, I was a little surprised to see Kansas was that much of a favorite. But um, I think you got two trains of thought here. You know, you got BYU, first game in the Big 12. And you know that they want to come in and improve themselves. But I also think that these Big 12 teams that have been there are going to be very happy to welcome these newcomers and say, welcome to big boy football, you guys. Mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, I think KU's relishing this spot. As, as is, I think, BYU, like you said, they've been independent for um, some time. You know, they used to play in the – uh, well, the whack in the day, which kind of those teams kind of became the Mountain West. Um, great tradition. Um, I love this matchup. Um, uh, I think I'll get to listen to some of it when the um, drive into Winfield for Warrior football um, this weekend. But uh, should be a dandy ball game. Uh, we then go across the state just a little ways um, to Manhattan. Wow, I got to watch the end of that game against Missouri on Saturday, Brad, it was, 
it was a bizarre ending, and I'll explain that in a minute. I, I just want to get your thoughts on it first, and, and then I'll, I'll I'll probably have a little different perspective. I think Eli Drinkwitz is a is a bad coach. First of all, I mean, it's not like they were trying to give away the game at the end of regulation. Uh, I, I, I mean, you get that penalty, and you and you know you're already looking at a long. I mean, give the Missouri kicker credit. I mean, that's that's an incredible feat to kick a 61 yarder walk off to win it, but. You know, at 56 yards, you're already looking at a long field goal, and then they take a delay game penalty. I mean, that's just unacceptable. I mean, what, what, what are they doing? But, you know, K-State's um, – I think this is a missed opportunity for them. Uh, it's not a devastating loss. It, it You know, doesn't – in the grand scheme of things, doesn't mean too much. They lost to Tulane last year, still won the Big 12, or they, they won the Big 12 championship game, I should say. Correct. And, <laughs> and so I don't think it changes that much. Will Howard is hurt. Uh reportedly may not be playing this weekend that would really change things as they would not most likely have to go with the true freshman Avery Johnson so I think in the grand scheme of things it's not a devastating loss to K-State but I, I, I guess I was just kind of disappointed from what I saw from K-State too where are the cats this weekend I have not had an opportunity to look at that oh, you would ask me that Scott <laughs> without me being prepared uh, why don't you give your thoughts I'll look it up here well I'll give my thoughts on K-State and then I'll get to Missouri because I've, I've got I'm, I'm in full agreement with you there. Um, this is K-State's MO, Brad. They they have that head-scratching loss. You already mentioned it was Tulane last year. Seems like early in the year, you're like, how did they lose that game? And they always come back later in the season. Sometimes it's on the road, ranked opponent, and they'll beat them. Um, that's just the MO for K-State. By no way, shape, or form does this – put them out of any kind of discussion of being a factor in the big 12, but it was a head scratching loss. You know, they had plenty of opportunities and you already mentioned it. Why is nobody talking about the bonehead coaching of Missouri at the end of this game? Everybody, obviously the the kicker rightfully. So I believe that makes him 11 of 15 career wise over 50. Yeah, that's that's amazing. 50% is great over 50. He's 11 of 15. How in the world, Brad, you you get in field goal range, you spike the football. Why? You're out of timeouts. (laughs) And then the the kicking team is huddled at the sideline. There's six on the freaking play clock. And then they run out there like they didn't know. They didn't have a timeout or the play clock was running down. And then they top it off. They put the offense back out there, a batted pass that's almost picked off. And then the kicker bails them out. I mean, what an idiot. I mean, how do you do that at the sideline? You know you're out of timeouts. What what was going on at the end of that game? I Did they think K-State called timeout? Did they think the play clock reset? I never because the questions weren't asked because the focus was on them winning the game with the kicker, which a lot of it should have been. But those questions needed to be asked. What in the world were they thinking? Because I can't come up with an answer. No. And as I said, I think Drinkwitz is a a, if we're and it's not just because he coaches Missouri. I just don't think he's a very good coach. Uh, He's. I mean, if they lose that game, I think he's going to be answering a lot of questions. Why are we losing to K-State again? Uh, two years are going to be playing Kansas. Uh, just wait, just wait till Lance Leipold knits him a clown suit. Then you're going to be seeing a lot of questions I, uh, asked about 
I mean, what, why did Terry Allen keep his job for as long as he did in, in Kansas? Uh, because he had a winning record against Missouri. So, uh, you know, I, 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 Missouri, I think, is probably better than what they were last year, 6-6 six and six last year. Uh, the SEC, just no, no one's really scared of it other than maybe Georgia or something like that. So they got a chance to, you know, maybe go out and win seven or eight games this year. Uh, they got the big swing win over K-State, but, you know, I, I just – it was as poor of clock management mm. at the end of that game as you could possibly ask for. And like you said, all, all due respect to the kicker, he deserves the accolades, he deserves the congratulations. Missouri deserves credit for winning that game. But if he misses that 61-yard field goal and K-State wins in overtime, I mean, Drinkwitz is getting pillared in the press. And, and rightfully so, he would have been. Um, yeah, I, I'm at a complete loss as to why that has not been brought up really at all, and, and at least in stuff I have seen. He's getting all the credit, you know, for rebuilding the Missouri team. And um, I, I guess we'll see. Uh, good luck with that SEC schedule. Um, Missouri, Central Florida, by the way, Scott, is who K State gets this weekend. Central Florida, interesting game. KU will have them, uh, I think, right after BYU. I think you're right. And before they get Texas, uh, Alabama, Brad. I know we don't talk about Alabama because they were pathetic against South Florida. That, that was a 3 3 game. I'm trying to remember if it got into the fourth quarter or if maybe it turned 10 3 right. Uh, after the start of the fourth quarter, but to only beat South Florida 17 to three, it seems like they're in disarray at the quarterback. I, I, and I love it. Um, what's going on there? I mean, that's just, that is certainly cause for concern. If you're beating South Florida after losing the Texas only 17 to three, um, you're in big trouble in SEC play. Well, you know, I think that the Alabama – kind of like Derby a little bit. You know, I think that Alabama – you're always going to take them serious. I think you're always going to respect their, them, and they could, on the right year, still get up and get that uh, national championship. Uh, I think the dynasty is over, though. Um, you know, I don't know if that means that, uh, you know, Saban has lost it or anything like that. I, I just don't know. Uh, so, they, 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 they've come back to the pack. I mean, the SEC, uh, for, for all the championships that they've won – and most years, I don't think we can argue that, you know, whether it's Georgia or Alabama or Auburn or LSU, uh, all those years that they won those championships, I don't think anyone would doubt that they were the best team. But I think once you get past those first couple teams, it's just no different than any other conference. You know, there's going to be your good teams, there's going to be your bad teams. So I, that's why I am not really sure that Alabama is going to be able to get back to that level that they have been. No, I don't, I don't think so either. I just, it, that I was watching that score as I was doing the, um, the Warriors on Saturday night and just was was fascinated as I was Brad with uh, Colorado Colorado State was a, a <laughs> very interesting game I think most people thought Colorado would win this game handily and actually took them two overtimes uh, that was completely I think unexpected great rivalry game that turned out to be a uh, must see TV as well. I think that was going on at the same time KU was playing. Pretty pretty similar yep. times. Uh, Colorado three. You know, we're going to find out now, Brad. I think they're at. Was it at or? I think they're at Oregon. At Oregon this weekend. We're going to find out. I, I, they're for real. I I, I don't doubt. Um, and do you know what their their win total projection was coming into the season? I'd say three or four. Two point seven. Wow. 
I, I would have taken the over though. I mean, easy to say now, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's uh, uh, I'll be I'll be back to that. I, I want I'll get back to that as part of my final thoughts tonight. But uh, um, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. I mentioned the Warriors uh, pick up their first win Saturday night on a muddy field in Sterling over Bethany, twenty-seven to twenty. Um, Brad, we always know that teams in close games you win it. And a lot of times it's because of all three phases of the game. Well, Sterling managed to score in all three phases of the game. They had an 85-yard kickoff return from looks like a sensational uh, freshman wideout by the name of Trey Dixon. Um, They had some offensive touchdowns. They had a 98-yard drive in four plays in this game. But the game winner um, was a batted pass by a – Defensive end Alan Garcia uh, intercepted by the other defensive end Flinders Cameron. As Cameron's getting tackled at the five, he laterals it back to Alan Garcia, who scores the winning touchdown um, in that game on Saturday night um, to give Sterling their first win of the season in a, a game that was never more than a touchdown one way or the other. Um, you love the grittiness um, Sterling showed staying in that game, fighting in every aspect. Um, offense was better, still very inconsistent. They had that long drive and short drive. They had some big plays. They had quite a number of three and outs in a row. I think they still punted nine or ten times in this game. Um, you love the win. Now you hope some more consistency will come. And they've got to find it fast. Brad. They've got 4-0 Southwestern ranked number nine in the country on the road on Saturday. Yeah, and you know that the Southwestern coaches are saying, hey, these guys are feeling pretty good about themselves. They just got their first win. So they're going to be coming down here with a lot of confidence. Uh, you know, what was encur- you know, encouraging for them to come back after that uh, bludgeoning they took down at, at Evangel. And, you know, you said they scored in all three phases of the game. So you might think, oh, they may have gotten dominated on the score sheet and they just managed to pick up a couple of cheap touchdowns. No, Sterling had more first downs. They had more yards. Uh they had more. They also had more turnovers, but you know, beyond that, they had the same number of penalties for fewer yards. So they did, you know, they did a lot of the things that you need to do to win games. Uh, you know, seven of nineteen on third down. That's not too bad. They dig up eight for twenty on third down for Bethany, but still, the uh, it was a pretty even game all throughout. It looked like. Yeah, if you looked at those numbers, I, if I remember correctly, I think Sterling had fourteen more yards of total offense. And I can't remember if it was Bethany or Sterling ran one more play. Yeah, Sterling ran one more play. One more play, and they had 14 more yards. So, I mean, offensive-wise, it was um, it was tight, like I said. And the, and the special teams and defense obviously uh, made the difference. They did have a, a big loss. They lost um, one of their uh, linebackers, uh, Diego Moran. Lower left leg injury did not look good. Um, most likely a season-ending injury that'll be a blow to the defense but uh, we'll see it's going to be as you could imagine brutally tough go out on the road um, see how they respond against southwestern and that game will be on 95.9 scwarriors.com coming up 5 30 with a six o'clock kick in winfield uh, coming up this saturday also back in action um, this weekend will be the hutch blue dragons after the bye brad Hosting winless Coffeeville, any uh, concerns about this game? No, I don't think so. I think uh, Coach Dallas uh, will have them focused, ready to go. I think the team enjoyed that week off to kind of 
would get things refocused. But if you look at Coffeyville's schedule, uh, lost at Highland 20 to 14, a Highland team that went up to Iowa Western and only lost by six, including leading at halftime. So Highland, even though they're one and three, it's kind of proven themselves. Uh, Coffeyville lost to Dodge City by nine, and they lost to Independence by three. So Coffeyville's right there, just a few plays here and there. And plus, you know, Coffeyville's been kind of a thorn in Hutchinson's side these last couple of years. So I don't think they're going to overlook them. I don't think that they're going to uh, really, at the same time, if, if Hutch doesn't shoot themselves in the foot, they continue to play like they have been. Uh, I do think that they would win this one by double digits. I do as well. I think uh, a bye week there, facing a winless team off the bye week, I think they're going to be hungry to get back out there. Um, and they will take care of business. And then we'll see how the rest of the schedule plays out for Hutch. I'm very curious. I think an excellent chance to be back in that national title picture at the end of the year. Well, if we move into the professional action from this last week, Brad, let's talk about uh, the now one and one Chiefs, um, 17 to nine win at the Jaguars. Of course, uh, Chris Jones played, played very well. I, I will say he did. He looked good in that game, was pressuring the quarterback. Uh, let's talk first about that Chiefs defense. People see Jaguars, and I think people still think this is the old Jaguars. Remember, this was a Jaguars team that took the Chiefs to the limit in the playoffs last year. This was a good team. Um, anytime you go on the road, it's good to get the win. And a, a defense just continually kept pressure on Trevor Lawrence, forced him to kick three field goals, and, and that was that was huge. It, is the I hate to say this so far is the defense the best part of this team? Oh, not even close right now. <laughs> um, I mean, maybe Tommy Townsend or something like that. But uh, you know, they played two games against two good offenses in Detroit and Jacksonville, and they've given up a total of thirty points. But let's break those down a little bit here, Scott. So the Chiefs gave up three touchdowns against uh, Detroit. One of them was a pick six. That's not yeah. on the defense, obviously. One of them also came uh, on the drive when Detroit went for a uh, fake punt and got the first down. So on one hand, yeah, they allowed the, t- the touchdown drive still. But on the other hand, they did have a three. They, they did at least have Detroit in punt formation. And then this past week, they didn't get a single touchdown. And three of those nine points came after a drop punt. Where, where Jacksonville didn't have to really drive very far. They didn't have to drive at all, actually, to be in field goal range. So, really, you've only seen three scoring drives where the offense really actually drove down against the Chiefs and uh, put points on the board. So, so far, you really can't complain. Uh, George Kaloftis, I think, looks really, really good right now. The secondary looks good. Uh, that was probably as bad as Trevor Lawrence has played in, what, maybe 12 or 13 games at least going back to last season. Uh, if you include the playoffs, probably even longer than that. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, come playoff time last year, was one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL, and he had a good first week as well. So the Chiefs did pretty well so far against two very good offenses. Yeah, so let's let's talk offense now. It You, you watch the Chiefs. Kelsey came back, um, four catches, had a touchdown. The yards were around the 30-yard mark um, for him. <sighs> It's hard for me to put a finger on it, Brad. Something's off with this offense. I don't know. I mean, obviously, the first game it was the the drop passes and and the pressure on on Mahomes from Detroit. Um, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. Seventeen points certainly not going to get it done in most weeks. Uh, 
this week it might be enough. The Bears um, really struggling right now. They're, they've got all sorts of issues um, with Chicago. Got an athletic quarterback, but still, I, I don't know that Justin Fields is gonna, ever going to be the answer for the Bears. But what what do you feel like the, the answer? What what does this offense got to do to get back in sync and start start putting points back on the board? Isaiah Pacheco needs 15 touches a game, Scott, minimum. I mean, he's not getting enough touches right now. That's. It seems like the, if Pacheco gets a stop for one yard or no game, that they kind of shy away from him. I mean, look, Barry Sanders was hit for losses sometimes. <laughs> Just because Pacheco gets one yard on first and ten from the from the seventeen yard line, doesn't mean he missed something, or doesn't mean that he. Oh, it's not working tonight. It just feels like that. Once Pacheco or the running game in general has a couple short yardage plays and nothing happens, that they kind of shy away from it after that. And I don't get it. So I think that Pache- they, they need to start using Pacheco more. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Um, the other thing I think that's kind of going on right now is I just don't think ever, the, the receiving core and the homes are in sync right now. Uh, Kelsey coming back is going to help, obviously. Uh, but I just think overall, it, it, you know, I just feel like that the they're just not in sync. You know, I think Mahomes is holding on to the ball, trying to find someone. Um, maybe he's not trying to force a throw that's, not, you know, that maybe he would try with a Kelsey or a Tyree Kill or even like a McCall Hardman or something like that. I just don't think that the trust is there. But let's talk about let, let's talk about maybe the most shocking thing that we saw in this game Sunday, Scott. And and this was a shocker. And I'm sure you remember this play. You ready? Okay. Fourth and one, the Chiefs did a power run for two yards. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> like, they, they didn't try a sweep or a tight end flea flicker or something. They, they went under center, handed it off to Pacheco, and he got two yards and a first down. And I was just like, power football still works? Like, we don't have to get cute to get the first down? Seriously? It works, Scott. It was beautiful. That seriously was probably one of my most favorite moments of the game. Well, uh, and we were, you know, and if we were critical, you know that the experts were highly critical of the play calling in the Detroit game on short yardage, which was awful. Um, There's, there's, it's times you just got to line up and man up and get a yard. Um, You've got a fullback. You can put a tight end in there, put an extra linemen in the backfield some teams do that if they don't like to carry a fullback um and just get a yard um i don't even care if they put blake bell under center but let him sneak it uh, right uh yeah that's that's encouraging i think they learn um are there times to try those type of plays sure um but it's not in fourth and one it's not in second and two third and two maybe second and two but not third and two or or third and one uh, well, not fourth and one in a tight game. No, no. Um, yeah, sometimes you can just outthink yourself. Um, and, and there's going to be some, you know, uh, going from the enemy to Nagy. Um, you know, there was some concern there. I hated losing Eric Bienemy. I thought he was great calling plays. So we'll see how that um, works itself out. Um, any concerns with the Bears coming to town? I mean, the concern, I guess, would be is that it's the NFL and, you know, it's it's a league built, built on parody, Scott. And, mm-hmm. you know, in some ways it just feels like a classic 27 to 10 game where the Chiefs are up, you know, like 17 to like 20 to 10 going into the fourth quarter, you know, where they just 
they're comfortably ahead, but they, you can't quite put in the backups, you know, that kind of thing. We saw a couple of those games last year, like against the Seahawks. Yeah. Uh, I, I, do I think the Chiefs are going to lose? No. I mean, I, I would bet, you know, quite a bit on the Chiefs winning this game. But it also just kind of feels like one of those games where it's just still not quite all there. They're up by seven to ten points most of the way, and uh, they end up getting the win still comfortably. Uh, other things in the NFL, uh, <laughs> love the way the Broncos lost on Sunday. Uh, get the Hail Mary prayer answered last play of the game, but then don't get the two-point conversion. Um, rest of the So the Chiefs in first place with the – Raiders who just got drilled by the Bills. Um, not a lot of surprises. The Bengals 0-2. They're not looking good. Um, but I got to ask, are the Cowboys sucking me in again? Yeah. Ah, that's what I'm... If, if, you have to ask, if you have to ask the question, Scott, then the answer is yes. Yeah. I, they have, <laughs> look, I, I got to say, Brad, they have one of the best defenses in the league, but I, I agree with most people I was listening to this week. One concern, kicking too many field goals. Um, that's going to come back to get you. And it, it, can Dak Prescott be the man late in those big games or especially in the playoffs? I think that still – I think it's still going to come down to that. And I, I'm, I'm about 50-50 on it. I, I got to see him do it to believe it. But that, that defense – that defense is going to have them in most every game they play. That is a great defense they've got. Yeah, and it's going to be an, it's going to be imperative for the Cowboys to I think win that division because obviously if you don't win the division, the best you're going to do is the number five seed, which means you're on the road in the first round of the playoffs. So I think it's imperative for uh, you, you know the winner of that East, and it's it's a tough division, Scott. Well, maybe not the Giants, but I think the rest of the division is pretty good. And uh, in in the NFC, it's probably well, I guess the 49ers are pretty good. I just don't think that the NFC has the overall depth and quality that the AFC has uh, year to year right now. But I do think that uh, for the Cowboys, I think for them to make a Super Bowl push, Scott, I think that they need home. I think they need to win the division. I I would agree. I don't think they can go on the road three weeks in a row um, and make the Super Bowl. I think it's just it's been done. Obviously, it can be done. I just don't know. Um, that they would be the team that's built to do that, but off to a, a 2-0 start. Well, let's dive in, Brad, to the high school football arena. Um, and we're, as we look at the schedule for this week on Ad Astra, we'll go to back last week. Uh, another tough game for the Sterling Black Bears, Brad. They're going to go to Inman this week, but was was I alone in being shocked? Now I wasn't a hundred percent shocked that they beat Sedgwick last week, but I was shocked the way they beat Sedgwick, forty-one to six. I, I did not see this coming. Sedgwick had beaten Hutch Trinity and Inman the first two weeks pretty convincingly. Um, this was that was a shocker to me. Sterling played a, a fantastic game last week to put the hurt on Sedgwick. Well, you and I both said before the season that Sterling was going to be the one of the most improved teams in the area. And I hate to toot our own horn here, but it definitely sounds like that we're right on that. Uh, tough district, though. I mean, they got Inman, they got Conway, they got Trinity, and even Ellenwood, I think, is off to a 3-0 and start right now. 
So, uh, I, heck, I ranked Sterling this week in my uh, state statewide poll uh, with this kind of informal deal that we do with several members of the media throughout the state. So, I think I had them ranked number nine in Class 1A. So, uh, they're, they're for real, Scott. And uh, we kind of knew that they were. But, yeah, to see them go out and just uh, beat a team like Cedric into an oblivion like that uh, – that that that's putting the class that's putting the rest of class one A on notice. They win this game at Inman this weekend. What's that? They win this game at Inman. I think they do. Yeah, I think that Sterling is playing so, such good football. I mean, yeah, they lost nineteen nothing to Marion. Marion though is a very very good team. Yeah, Marion knocking off uh, it was a tr- it was Trinity Catholic this last week. Yeah. Um, yep. By a touchdown, Marion three and zero. I'm starting to buy. As far as buy and sell, I'm starting to buy Marion. Trinity, as you mentioned, they're at Ellenwood. Ellenwood, it's been a long time since we've talked about Ellenwood football. 3-0 and start. Uh, what do you see in that game, Trinity at Ellenwood on 100.3? Big game. I mean, it it's, it's a six, it's a six-team district. So that means two teams don't make the playoffs. And uh, I think the loser of this game is going to have a hard time, Scott. I really do. Um you know, you got Sterling, you got Conway. That and I know Conway, um, they're off to what a one and two start. But uh, you know, losing to Kingman and Garden Play, no shame in that. <laughs> we know that Con- we know that Conway Springs is going to be is going to be there in the end. Uh, but I think right now you got Conway and Sterling are kind of established themselves as a favorite in that in that district. You know, Inman's going to be tough, and I think that you know the loser of this Trinity Ellenwood game is going to have a hard time making it. They will. That, that's that is a. I know it's only week four, but that is a crucial game for those two teams to stay right in the thick of, of district play. Uh, Bueller travels to Winfield. Bueller getting a big win last week. Now, remind me again, was that – that was Great Bend, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, wow. Yes. What, what, what a win. Uh, they dominated the game, Scott. I mean, I know the scoreboard makes it look kind of close, but uh, they were in control of that game from the start. Yeah, they are they're two and one and and again I think certainly on Bueller on 4A West um, they're going to be a factor uh, and you look down at McPherson uh, interesting game going to circle after getting uh, manhandled by Junction City which that we could probably say that a lot about Junction City's opponents this year they're very good. Um, do you see McPherson rebounding? It's a it's a pretty decent circle team this year. Um, does McPherson rebound? It you know circle obviously had a great season last year, made it to the quarterfinals uh, in in rebuild mode. But I think that they're a little bit better than what maybe maybe some of us anticipated circle being. Uh, they almost beat Bueller twenty one to thirteen, close game there. Then they went out and, and beat a beat a Winfield team that teams have traditionally struggled against forty five twenty three. You know, this isn't a gimme uh, uh, for McPherson by any stretch of the imagination. And, you know, like we all often say how open 4A West is, uh, if McPherson wants to remain a contender, I mean, they got two losses already. They really can't afford another one. Yeah, that is a that is a big game early on. Uh, I mean, a tough schedule for McPherson. They, they really need to, to win that game. Um, you look at the rest of 4A, uh, both Mays and Mays South Hutch defeated uh, Mays South, correct? They had – this last week, right? Correct. Yes, yes. Hutch beat Mays South. Yep. And May did Mays lose again? Was that? Or was, yeah, Mays lost to. Uh, was that Newton uh, to beat? Is Newton nineteen to seventeen? There we go, Scott. Newton, Newton getting that getting that annual win that just kind of like, well, how about that? Yeah, that was. 
I, I, I have said here, not this weekend, but the following weekend, our uh, game time game of the week will be Mays and Mays South at Riverfront. Um, I, I've told a lot of people, I, I think this is the year uh, Mays South um, gets the upper hand in that rivalry. And I, I'm going to stick with that. Um, certainly losing to Hutch in a tight ball game is, is no shame. Hutch is a really really good team I, I think it'll be a good game but i i really think in a couple of weeks that that's going to favor may south this year well we talk about helping for a west is how about five a west right mm. now there's only two undefeated teams left and it's liberal and eisenhower uh you know liberal give them credit it's their first three and zero start in, in quite some time the schedule is about to really uh get more difficult with dodge garden great ben and hayes coming up these next four weeks uh are they going to be a team that's going to, you know, be eight? No, coming into the last. No, uh, Eisenhower though. They've kind of proven that win over Hutch wasn't a fluke, but boy, I tell you what, um, five, a West just seems really open right now. You know who I, I would favor in that right now, Brad. I would probably, if, if you said, Brad, who's going to make it to the state championship game from five on the West side, I would probably have a slight edge right now to Cape and Mount Carmel. That was exactly what I'm going with. They, had Northwest, who's number two in Class 6A. They had him on the ropes. They actually had him up. They were up twice by 14 points in that game, and Northwest, to their credit, uh, came back and beat Capen by a touchdown. But that Capen is real. I mean, they have got – they are really good up front. They've got one of the best running backs in the state period in, in Amari Elias. Um, they're sound defensively, well-coached. I, I agree. They're, they're a huge factor in 5A. Northwest – time game of the week on your view this week hosting east um, northwest undefeated this is an interesting game brad I, I will say this east is extremely talented we had them a couple weeks ago as, against capen shot themselves in the foot i think they had 21 or 22 penalties for 200 plus yards um, in that game um they have simplified their their coach felt like they were trying to put in too many wrinkles that was causing the pre-snap penalties. They simplified things. They're very talented. Boy, Brad, they better be. This Northwest team is absolutely loaded. They've got a kid named Deuce Bohan, and he's a sophomore, but he's only 14 years old. He's a year ahead. Um, he skipped a, a year in school. He's so smart. He is the highest rated sophomore running back in the state um they've got one of the best rushing offenses in the state they go a million miles an hour on offense they just snap the ball well over 20 in the play clock uh if east can play a clean game they could make this interesting they've got a lot of speed but i think we're going to see northwest why they're number two in the state well i'll tell you what if i could have a drink with any Football coach in Kansas, Steve Martin might be at the top of my list right there. He's he's such a good dude. He is. Uh, love the way that he coaches his team. Uh, I love Northwest. I've, I've loved their way that they play for years. And I'll tell you something about East Scott. Uh, yes, uh, we you know we can sing uh, Northwest is praised all night. But I want to say something about East. So if they don't win this game, they're going to be one and three, which means that the best that they can do the rest of the way in the regular season is five and three. If you're in the first round of the playoffs, and you get East, Ooh. how excited are you? You, you, you? You're you're very displeased with that draw. <laughs> and not only that, how about in the second round drawing East? I said, Brad, they are 
Dante Mitchell, we, we're, we're, we're still trying to find, and, and you maybe can help me if there, if you know where there would be any city league records, their head coach Ooh. says sometime early in this season, he's going to become the all time passing leader um, in city league history. He is a great dual threat quarterback. Ray Ray leak as a game breaker at running back. They've got three, four wideouts that can make a difference. Like I said, if, if, if they play, a clean game, don't shoot themselves in the foot. They are, yeah, they're dangerous. They, they've got so much speed. They can, they can break it off and, and score at any time, and that, that's, that's dangerous when you get to the playoffs. Yeah, their only losses are undefeated Washburn Rural by one, and then, uh, as we mentioned, Capen, maybe the favorite in 5A West by 14. So uh, I, I like East. Uh, this is, I, I agree, Scott. If they play a clean game, uh, this could be a game in the fourth quarter. Washburn Rural, they lost by one, lost two fumbles, threw three picks, turned it over on downs twice, lost the Capen by 14 with 22 penalties. And I said, that that tells you if it, it, a clean game and, and they, they could be serious. So um, excited about that game for sure. Your game this week, I, I don't think as far as the competitive standpoint, it's going to be a great game, Pretty Prairie at Mound Ridge. But you and I were both pretty high on Mound Ridge when the season started. They're 3-0. and They've got a tremendous defense. Uh, I'm, I'm sure you're anxious to see them in person. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they, oh gosh, I can't, I think it was them that they scored 60 points on Wichita Independent last week while only running like 19 offensive plays and two of which we were kneel, kneel downs at the end of the first half. Oh, geez. <laughs> and I think I think they had one kid score three touchdowns, and none of them were offensive. Oh, gee. Wow. So, he, I, I think it was like a, a, a two punt returns and a, uh, and a, and a pick six. So, uh, it, Tyler O'Connor, the, the young coach there at Mound Ridge, who's at Kenton Galper for several years, uh, the son of Larry O'Connor, the very successful longtime basketball coach, now the AD over at Kenton Galva. Uh, you know, we, we've said this before on this podcast, Scott, that it's good to see different teams kind of rise up like this. And, uh, you know, Mount Ridge has never been, you know, a hopeless football program where they go 0-9, 0-9, 1-8, you know, something. They, they always seem to win a few games. But it's, uh, they're not winning a few games this year. This is a team that can make a deep, deep run into the playoffs. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see how they do. I, again, Pretty Prairie winless. Uh, um, I think Mound Ridge will win the game easily, but I'm curious. Uh, they'll have uh, Little River coming up on the schedule. Gossel will be in there on the schedule. Um, both of those obviously playoff teams last year. So very curious. I I, I, I was high on them. I, I still feel like they can win that district. Um, it's a it's a pretty tough district, but don't be surprised if Mound Ridge is left standing on top of that district after Week Eight. Another intriguing ball game in eight man is uh, the suddenly resurgent Central Plains Oilers are off to a three and zero start, um, playing a typically powerhouse. I think they're two and one so far this year. Um, they're hosting Victoria. Uh, suddenly a really intriguing game. I don't think the Oilers schedule has been real tough, but for a team that's really struggled the last couple three seasons, good to see them uh, back to a three and zero start. Yeah, returned a lot of guys from last year, and uh, I think they lost several close games last year. So definitely good to see them back up. They beat Lacrosse twenty-eight to twenty last week. Lacrosse traditionally has been a pretty good good team. Uh, they're one and two this year, but those losses are to Victoria and Central Plains. So 
definitely uh, not not a bad team by any stretch. Yeah, what would you recommend for Smoky Valley to do at Andale this week? Run the ball. Fake, fake injury. <laughs> Run the ball and just try to get out of there as shorten the game and get out of there as soon as you can. Oh, good. And the Smoky 0-3, I think, going into that ball game, Andale. And just doing what they do, they're just running over people. What was it, seventy? Was it seventy-three? Nothing over El Dorado last week. Um, again, until somebody in three A beats Andale, that, that I'm riding that horse. And, and- yeah, I don't think there's any reason not to. Uh, I, I know Cheney's really good this year. Uh, they'll get their shot, obviously, in district play. Uh, basically, I think if 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 nobody can get Andale this year based on especially how strong Cheney looks and how strong Topeka Hayden looks, I'm not sure when it ends. Yeah. Uh, Surprised last week, Halstead handling Pratt. I was a little – What a comeback. Yeah. I think uh, Pratt was up in that game 21 to nothing. Uh, as a matter of fact, I was over in uh, at the Heston game against Hillsborough, and the guys in the press box were like, no, that, that score can't be right. Uh, they were getting killed in the first quarter. Uh, but yeah, what was it 40, 42, 38? I think it was something. Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah. And, you know, first of all, we knew that Hall said, uh, was going to kind of like uh, Sterling was going to be much better this year. Uh, I, I think that Derek Reset, the coach over there is one of the rising stars in the coaching profession. He's going to do some great things at Hall said and, and, uh, beyond if, if needed his dad over there, Sean, one of the great coaches in Reno County football history with uh, Trinity Catholic for several years just had a machine of a team when uh, he was over there and boy, I, I Halstead football is looking up right now. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to be fascinated to see how they, they finish out the regular season or certainly uh, caught my eye on Friday night. So again, the whole Ad Astra schedule of course is up at adastraradio.com. Um, one other thing on Keisha before we go on to a couple other uh, little topics. Uh, I'm sure you saw Keisha announcing effective for the spring sports season that baseball and softball now allowed to expand their schedule from 20 to 26 games um, coming up this spring, Brad. What do you think of that? And I'll, I'll give you my thoughts here in a moment. Well, first of all, overall, I think it's, I think it's the right thing to do. I think the schedule it, it, it's it's too long, even though spring sports is a short season, 20, 20 games for most teams is just 10 dates. It's just not enough. I mean, let's just be honest. It's not enough to play 10, uh, 10 dates in what, eight weeks? I mean, that's, that's a doubleheader a week. That's just not enough. But I think uh, two potential problems we're going to run into, especially at the lower classifications, is pitching. Yeah, yep. Now, do these teams have to schedule 26 games? No. And I think that's what a lot of uh, the proponents will say. Hey, they don't have to schedule 26 games, but we know better than that. Uh, they're going to try to play as much as possible. And also, Scott, another potential problem. Are there going to be enough umpires for all this? <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I just look back at this last year, Brad. Um, this was a spring. We did not have much rain. There was a lot of teams that didn't even get the 20 games in. Um, due to reschedules because of weather. Um, And you're going to try to schedule three more nights. Um, I just don't see teams getting the games in. And like you said, uh, your two 1A schools, Brad, um, it's a nightmare when they have to play three doubleheaders in a week because of 
rain outs. I've seen that firsthand. It's it's not pretty. Um, it's it's bad baseball when you've got to throw your right fielder who's never pitched um, in his life in a game because you've got another doubleheader coming up that week. You got to save somebody for. Um, I don't have a problem with it. I, I like the idea of teams being able to get more games in. Just don't see it happening a lot for the, again, the lower classifications, which we cover a lot of. I, I think it's going to be tough to do because generally you only play maybe one at most uh, two nights in March. And that leaves you basically four in April, four weeks in April, and then one in May before it's regional time. Um it's going to be hard to do. I think it's going to be really hard to get those games in. Yeah, I think that what what you're going to see is teams are going to have to start scheduling as early as possible. But you also know that these schools like having a couple, uh, you know, dates off for two reasons: to give your team a break, but also in case you have a rainout, now you got a free date out there to reschedule that game. So uh, teams are going to have to schedule as early as possible, and unfortunately, they're going to have to schedule as late as possible too. Yeah, and I'm, I'm not a huge fan of them um, trying to do too much in March. Um, that can be cold. That can be nasty. Well, it can be real nice, but, you know, March March is such an unpredictable month. But I, I thought it was interesting, and we will see how many teams will um, try to take advantage of that as far as getting in three extra dates for doubleheaders. A uh, little history here for you, Brad, out of Major League Baseball. You know, there's – there's a few records and things that are set that we believe will never be broken. Um, you know, obviously, I think uh, uh, Chamberlain's 100-point game in the NBA, never, never going to be broken. And I think this is one, too. It happened, I'll see if you remember this, September 14th of 1990 in Major League Baseball. Any idea what happened on this date? I'm just going to take a shot in the dark here, but was that maybe Nolan Ryan's seventh no-hitter? No, it was actually a father-son duo. Oh, hit yeah. back-to-back home runs in the same game. Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey Jr., Ken Griffey Sr. did it on the September fourteenth of nineteen ninety. I, I mean, you just see so few father-sons that even play in the major leagues, but rarely does it ever overlap, and rarely are they ever both on the same team and good enough to be playing at the same time. It just happened to be that both junior and senior were. And again, on that date, hit back-to-back homers. Um, I just don't think that's going to happen. Yeah, yeah that's, uh, you know, first of all, if, if you're playing Major League Baseball with your dad, uh, you're probably 2021, 20, and dad's probably 42. Uh, gosh, it's it's going to be tough. I mean, a lot of these guys aren't going into their 40s. It doesn't seem like they're going into their 40s much anymore. And frankly, baseball is uh, its becoming more of a game where, you know, the, the the younger kids aren't getting into the majors as quickly, it seems like. Yeah. I'll, see, I'm, I'll make this statement. See what you think about it, Brad. I think if Ken Griffey Jr., played his entire career. Now, he played about 20 years, as I recall, before he retired. If he plays that healthy, I think he's the best that ever played the game. Is that is I think an outrageous he, statement? I think he's at least um, the home run king. Is, isn't he in the 
I certainly think he's in the discussion as best ever if he stays healthy. Because I mean, he had 630 home runs, which is what 120 uh, away from well, the 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 official unofficial record of that Barry Bonds holds. We know that the real home run king is Hank Aaron. Correct. But uh, I mean, you look at his career, uh, 95, just played in 72 games. That was the year after the strike. 2002, 70. 2003, 53. 2004, 83. Mm-hmm. 2008, 41. 2010, his last season, 33. So he had a lot of seasons cut short by injury. Yeah, I just, he was so good. I just I just feel like it, um, it was one of those, you, you got a, a, a glimpse and a, and a good glimpse of it. He, he was healthy for a while, but um you just kind of feel like you got robbed a little bit of what um, he really could have been healthy, but that, 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 that sports that happens and uh, um, boy, he had some memorable moments, but that was, that was interesting. September 14th, 1990, him and his dad, Homer back to back in the same ball game. Another little interesting um, side note. I saw this week come out. I think I saw it on uh, Facebook the USFL and XFL um, expected to merge into one league in time for this next spring football season. Of course, the USFL um, has had two seasons back in the spring. XFL just relaunched this last spring, both with some um, some pretty good returns, some not bad numbers as far as, as TV ratings. Um, what do you think uh, when we talk about spring football, I, I, I felt like two leagues was definitely too much. Do you like the idea? Do you think it'll work? Um, those two leagues merging together, um, by next spring to play as one United league. It was probably a necessity, Scott. I mean, it's, um, I, I, I do think that there's a market for spring football. As you and I have said before, you know, it would be great to see the NFL kind of get into this a little bit, like maybe maybe make it a, a farm league. Uh, I just can't understand why it seems like the only major professional sport that doesn't have a bona fide farm league. I think interest would go up if you could send your your draft picks, you know, immediately to go play a couple games right away. Of course, but you know, too much money invested in your first round pick, maybe, but you get your <laughs> fifth, sixth, and seventh round guys out there. Yeah. But um, I think there's a market for it. Yeah, I, I think I think a spring football can be sustainable. I, I do as well, and I, I think this is a smart move. I mean, you know, you're going to have to – there's going to be a lot of details to work out, um, what you're going to call it, and, and revenue and all that that you share or the expenses. Um, curious to see how it all works out, and uh, I will watch. Um, I'll watch a little bit in the spring um, and see. I just I, I thought that was interesting, but I think – for viability and for long-term survival, that is a very, a very smart move by both of the leagues. So that will uh, conclude our regular topics. So we'll grab your final thoughts. So you talk about how we got robbed with Ken Griffey Jr., right? Absolutely. Okay, man. You want to know how we got robbed this year, Scott? Tanner Heckle, man. Oh. You know what he did last night, last week? Eight touchdowns. <laughs> and two intercept and two interceptions. He has 18 total touchdowns in three games so far. I mean, we knew that he was going to. I've called him the human cheat code, is what I've called him. 
Uh, it's almost not even fair. He's got a Division One lineman blocking for him, by the way. Uh, Linden was already going to be really good before the season started. And now you throw maybe the best athlete in Class 1A and maybe one of the top 10 athletes in the entire state uh, in, in eight-man football. I mean, it's just, this just isn't fair, Scott. <laughs> and what he has done so far, I mean – and, and and speaking of getting robbed, man, th- these poor people in Linden are getting Tanner Heckle for one year. Yeah, I mean they're they're. I hope they're enjoying it because it's good. They're, they're going to be talking about Tanner Heckle in twenty years and just to be saying, man, we only got one year of this kid. I mean, everyone's getting cheated around here, man. He left our area to go play over in Linden. Um, we all know that his mom took a job over there, and gosh, I I, I hope that they're loving life over there because. Um, uh, we, I feel robbed over here. The, the, the fans of Linden are going to feel robbed when they only get one year of him. But, boy, so happy that Tanner Heckle is lighting it up for Linden. Uh, I hope they make a deep run into the postseason, and I hope maybe uh, by sheer luck uh, due to the scheduling that maybe you or I get a chance to see him play in the postseason this year. You put them as the favorite in Division One. Gosh, they're, they're not ranked number one. Um, can, do you know off the top of your head who is? I believe Wichita County is, aren't they? Okay, Wichita County is probably deserving of of that number one ranking right now. Um, they returned quite a bit from a state championship team last year, and it's the second time in three years that they played for the state championship. So, I, I don't have a problem with Wichita County being number one. Like I said, if for another reason that they're defending state champions and they return quite a bit as well. Uh, do I expect Linden to, at, at the very worst, be in Newton for the state championship game? Yes, I do. I, I think uh, Linden's going to be there. And, uh, boy, I tell you what, if they play Wichita County, uh, give me a ticket. Oh, man, sign me up. Yeah, that would be fantastic. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad to see him doing so well. hope his mom, um, who we both know, um, enjoying teaching and coaching out there in Linden. Uh, again, another team I'm going to be fascinated to watch when the playoffs get rolling. Well, I mentioned the Colorado-Colorado State game earlier, Brad, that I wanted to get back to it here on my final thoughts. I think we all saw the the tremendous two-way player, Travis Hunter, for the uh, Colorado Buffaloes take that hard shot, um, late hit um, after a play in the second quarter, um, kind of to the midsection, torso, kind of down in that area, Um Came back in the game for a little while, then left. It looks like he's going to be out a couple, three weeks. Um, uh, unsportsmanlike penalty was called on the play on the defensive back. Um, was not tossed out of the game. When, when I first saw the hit, Brad, I thought it was and, – and, and I'll let you weigh in on this too. I thought when I first saw it, it was a cheap shot. Um, when I watched it again – you know, he, he didn't he didn't launch towards the head, didn't lead with the head. Yes, it was late, um, too aggressive, obviously. Um, I kind of changed my opinion a little bit that it wasn't as uh, a dirty play as I first thought it was. But, Brad, the, the, the stupidity that has gone on, and this happened before the game was over, someone, and I – hoping every minute of the day they catch who did this. Um, His phone number, his address, his family's phone numbers, addresses, all of that were posted online. And, of course, death threats have been made um, to him, his family. Um, Deion Sanders was asked about it. He's like, look, he said, 
was it a late hit? Yes, he got flagged for it. Um, we've forgiven him. Travis has forgiven him. You know, it's football. You know, the guy made a mistake. He's a good player. Um, he's repentant of it. He said, we need to move on. And he, he chastised. He said, if this is a Colorado fan that's doing this, to knock it off. He said, this is just, this is a game. Um, to stoop to this level, Brad, again, I hope they find who is doing this. And not only do they get reprimanded, they, they, they spend some jail time. This is ridiculous. This is a, this is a game of college football. Um, the kid made a mistake, got penalized for it. Uh, move on and, and this has gone way overboard it's really sad um look scott we were we were young ones too and you know i didn't play college football i didn't play major college football i played junior college soccer but look uh, i i did my share of stupid things back in the day i mean we all did and the fact that this kid did his on national tv that doesn't make doesn't mean that he shouldn't first of all should be held accountable of course he should be held accountable he got penalized. Should he be suspended? That's not really for me to say. That's for the, the conference and the team to decide. Um, you know, Deion Sanders has kind of said some things in support of the kid. And just I don't know what people are trying to prove by doing something like that, by doxing the kid, doxing his mom, for God's sake. I mean, he's getting, I mean, she's getting death threats. I mean, what? What are we doing here? I mean, it's, it can be such a toxic thing, social media and, and, the, and just – I don't know. It's it, it just makes me sad. I mean, look, the kid, like you said, he made a mistake. I, was it a dirty hit? I mean, we can watch it like the Zapruder film and come up with uh, a different uh, angle and a different reason every time. It doesn't mean that he deserves to be getting death threats and for him and for his mom to be getting doxxed. I mean, come on. Let, 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 I hate to say something like this because it's cliche, but grow up. Come on. Yeah, it, it it's so far beyond any rational behavior it's just it's idiotic and again if if they catch the people who who put all this information out there i hope i hope they do some jail time and we can get this kind of stuff knocked off because in the end it's just like dion said it is a game and let's let's treat it like that so again uh, the all the schedules are up at adastraradio.com a uh, big game for the Jayhawks and Wildcats this weekend and the Chiefs. And we'll be back next week to break it all down for you. But for tonight's View from the Press Box for Brad Hallier, this is Scott Hogan. God bless. We'll see you next week.